Hi, it's Reverend Kurt Condra at Unity on the North Shore in Evanston, Illinois. Unity offers positive, practical, and progressive teachings that support spiritual evolution and abundant living. You can join us for our weekly Sunday service at 1030 in these days of sequestering. It's by Zoom. Uh, so please visit our website at www.unityns.org and register for the Zoom link. If you missed the service, you can also see the video version of our Sunday lessons on our YouTube channel, Unity North Shore. Again, visit us at our website, www.unityns.org, to see the many ways in which we're creating connection in this time of physical distancing. God bless. You know, Memorial Day is always kind of a kind of a mix of emotions for me. I think I've talked about this before, but it's a time when as a nation, right, we're remembering the sacrifices of those who gave their lives in support of the ideals that we stand for as a country. Uh, but it's also a time that we celebrate those very ideals. And, and it seems like Memorial Day has sort of had this evolution. It was begun shortly after the Civil War to celebrate uh, and to honor the lives of the folks, of the soldiers in the Union Army that had passed. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later that they actually began to honor uh, folks in the Confederacy as well. And it seems like over the years it has expanded so that veterans in all wars, U.S. veterans in all wars were kind of included in our remembrance and our observance of that. And uh, I think now finally we're at a place where we can maybe begin to open our hearts and minds to, to a space where we can recognize that all of those who have died um, in, in, in wars anywhere can be included and encompassed for the sacrifices that they have made. I, you know, sort of, I, I see that as this like evolutionary pull. And at the same time as, as our celebration, our observance of Memorial Day has opened, it's also become a lot more than just uh, honoring soldiers, right? It's sort of, it's a day off, it's a time to like rest. Uh, and this year in particular, it just feels like uh, there's a space where um, the celebration is sort of giving way to a space where we're really able to kind of rest in an awareness of how much has been lost this year, you know, across the whole, uh, the whole planet. Uh, no matter no matter what nation you're from, where you are on the planet, this COVID-19 has has just brought an immense sense of loss, not only of life, but of connection and relationships, of patterns that, that supported and sustained us, of income, of livelihood. There's just all this loss that we're sort of sitting in. And so as I'm, as, as I'm sort of moving in this place now where we're literally kind of confined to space, at least social distancing if we do go out, but how is it that we find the courage to move into the kind of energy that, that Shannon and Bob have been singing about, right? To know that there's light beyond this, that there is love. How do, we, how do we get to that space of being able to demonstrate that even when we're standing in a space where it's dark, where the light not yet, might not yet be as visible, or if it is, it's just a spark behind us. Um, and so I was turning to stories of, um, I guess I would call them <laughs> courageous heroes, stories of heroes, and holding that question. How is it that they summon the courage to be able to move through the challenges that they had? And so what I'd like to do is just share four stories with you over the next few minutes. And I also, at the beginning of service, I invited folks to get familiar with the chat function. 
because what I would really like is that, I mean, I have my idea about how I think courage gets summoned by these heroes, but I would love it if we could kind of create a container here where it's a collective wisdom. So as I'm talking about these heroes, if you have something that comes to mind that feels like a valid answer to that, summoning courage in times of darkness, then I, I hope you'll feel free to share that in the chat stream. And then we can maybe have a deeper, richer conversation because it will be ideas that arise out of the collective rather than just, you know, my own little sitting here in my <laughs> sequester department. So I invite you to just consider that as I share with you these four stories. And uh, I mean, there's no question where I was going to start, right? Hecky is sort of the first story that I want to share. And I know the, for those of you who may not be a regular part of Unity on the North Shore in our community here, just the background you need to know is that Hecky's been a member, Hecky and his wife and family have been around Unity North Shore for decades. But bigger than that, he is, uh, he is just a presence and a power in the broader Evanston community and beyond. He's an has, has been an incredible source of philanthropy, uh, especially when it comes to supporting young people who were disadvantaged and maybe need a little extra support to be able to make their way. He was especially supportive of folks who then weren't necessarily college bound. He really understood that not everybody has that as their gift, but that they have plenty to give and bring and share. So he supported a lot of folks with scholarships to go to trade schools. Um, one of my favorite stories is he owned a restaurant, Hecky's Barbecue is iconic here in Evanston. And uh, my favorite story about this last week is really that one of his competitors, another restaurant owner, uh, paid to have a sign dragged up in front of the restaurant. And the sign reads, if a town ever had a king, we love you, Hecky Powell. So that kind of tells you how broadly he was adored, for those of you who may not have known that, and how much, how dear we hold him in our hearts here, here in Evanston. But I wanted to share, there's lots, um, there's been lots of TV coverage, there are lots of newspaper reports, you can check on, you know, kind of the bigger stuff he's done. I wanted to share just kind of a personal insight I have into the amazing courage that he brings, or he brought. Not too long ago, um, in this last year or so, our marketing team decided we were going to create this campaign. And it was going to be all about how people had applied our spiritual principles to create really wonderful outcomes in their lives, miracles even. And so I approached Hecky because I know that um, this has been, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago, that he went, she walked through another change where he nearly died. Um, he was part of a program where he had a, a liver transplant and it, the prognosis was not good. I can remember him talking to me about, he, he told the docs, you know, you do what you need to do, but I know that my job is to be aligned with my source. And, and so it truly was an ultimate, lots of miracles around that in terms of just the connections he made with people that were supporting the medical team and just amazing miracle. Well, I wanted that to be the story that Hecky shared about how he practiced principle. And um, so I, I, I matched him up with the writer who was doing the, the reporting. And by the time Hecky gets sat down with, with Jim Marinu, who wrote the story, he, he decided that wasn't the story he wanted to tell. That was old news. Um, Hecky was healed. He'd moved beyond that. And he wanted to share the story about how we can all be of service. And so he shared the story of the founding of the Hecky or the Forrest E. Powell Foundation, named in father of his dad and the incredible work they do to empower and inspire and support others. So it was his, his message that, that is shared on our website now. You can go and read it. It's brilliant, but it's all about how we can be of service, that that's how we become heroic, right? It's in service to others. 
And it wasn't so much about his own personal healing. He was all about, at that point in his journey, he was all about how we can all create, move to create a better world. So that's, that's my perception of Hecky. So again, I would invite you to, if in my little rambling here, something occurs to you about what is it that Hecky was using or thinking or believing that helped him stay in that courageous place, to know that there is always a positive. That's the slogan that we ended up using on his interviews. There is always a positive. He lived by that in every circumstance. So if you've got any insights or ideas about how we might be able to emulate that, um, please share that in the chat stream. The next story I want to share with you is biblical in nature. Um, it's the story of Esther and Xerxes. Xerxes, many of you probably know it. Um, Esther was a beautiful, beautiful young Jewish woman who basically won a beauty contest in the kingdom to be Xerxes' next wife. Uh, she was coached by her uncle Mordecai not to tell anybody about her Jewish heritage because he knew of the prejudice and the racism that was uh, evident in that culture. And so, so she didn't. Um, and the story is filled with, oh my gosh, in Old Testament terms, it's a happy ending. Uh, but there, it's filled with uh, politics and intrigue and massacre and uh, all kinds of stuff. It gets very convoluted. But I happen to find a really wonderful poem written in verse that really describes the whole experience of how, how Esther found courage and demonstrated courage to be able to save the Jewish people through this thing. So this is a, it's called Esther's Courage by Bo Jackson. Xerxes ruled with random lust, his court approached with fear. His whimsy might be cruel or just, and Haman held his ear. Haman's hateful murderous heart was filled with selfish pride, which turned against the man who worshiped Yahweh, Mordecai. Haman lied to Xerxes and his twisted evil ruse convinced the king to grant the execution of the Jews. Mordecai told Esther then of Haman's vile plan, since her position in the court might thwart this evil man. But if she came to the royal court from the harem where they kept her, he might decline to see her with a gesture of his scepter. And this declining gesture would mean death for good Queen Esther. How could they escape this mind? How to change the monarch's mind? Approaching him, she just might find that her request would be declined. Uncertain now, she wavered as she tried to count the cost. Mordecai said, Esther, if you don't go, you'll be lost. God will save us either way, despite the turns and twists. Who knows if you were put where you are for such a time as this? So Esther left the harem and approached the royal hall, willing to save her people by being willing to risk it all. There's a lot happens in those little verses. And of course, the ending of the story is that uh, Esther prevails. The king is convinced and sees that Mordecai is the evil, evil one among the court here. And uh, so Mordecai, or uh, uh, Haman actually is hanged on the gallows that were intended for Mordecai. Uh, so that's, you know, in, in, New in Old Testament terms, you know, sort of divine justice. That's, that's the happy ending. The evil is defeated. Um, but I would invite you to think about if you were, if you had been in Esther's position, how, how might you have found that place of being able to stand and encourage, to be able to approach knowing full well that your life was at risk? What is it you're thinking or believing? What is it that you do to be able to move in 
to that space of, of being able to stand in courage and stand for truth. Yeah. Okay, next story I wanna share. Um, this is from, again, we're going back to the early days of, of, of um, uh, the uh, early days of our country's founding, right? Before Memorial Day was even a thing. Uh, this was back during the Civil War. And there's a woman named Mary Walker. And Mary Walker is actually, to this day, the only woman who has ever earned the Medal of Honor, been awarded the Medal of Honor. She's also the only civilian who has ever awarded the Medal of Honor. And as a surgeon, Mary saw that she could do good in this time when our country was being torn apart and uh, there were just so many injuries and deaths along the way. And so she went to the army hospital and asked to be commissioned. And she was refused because that was men's work. But not to give up, Mary found the courage to continue and persevere. And so she started volunteering in that same army hospital uh, for no pay at all. She was just there to be of service and be of help. Uh, eventually, they started to recognize her incredible skill and she ended up being sent to the front lines um, between the North and the South, right? This is Confederacy and, and the Union Army. She was serving in the Union Army. Um, realizing that there were wounded on, in enemy territory, she crossed over into enemy lines to, to tend to hurt civilians, and she was captured and taken prisoner, and she spent the next few months in a prison of war camp. Um, she eventually was released uh, in a part of a prisoner exchange program. But again, as I mentioned, um, President Lincoln named her or awarded her with the Medal of Honor, the only woman to this day to have been awarded that and one of only a handful of civilians. So as you think about her journey, she had this incredible capacity and gift, but this desire to make sure that that gift was being used in a space, in a place where it could be of greatest benefit. Um, what did she rely on in order to sort of move her and keep her, keep her, keep her eyes sort of on, on the light in front of her? How did she stand in that space of courage? What, what do you imagine that would have been like for her? And then the last example I wanna share, the last sort of story of heroes that I wanna share. Um, this is two soldiers who served in the Korean War. Uh, one was named Hiroshi Myanmar. He was from, I think it was Lubbock, Texas, a small town in Texas. Uh, and the other is Joe Anello. So these were young men. This was taken at a ceremony at the White House not too long ago. Um, but, so Hiroshi was uh, obviously Japanese American and he had a passion to serve because Lubbock, Texas was one of the few places in the country that did not inter Japanese Americans during World War II. So he had a great desire to give back to this nation that stood by, by him in that point. Um, from that small town in Texas. Uh, Joe, on the other hand, was uh, from, he was a big city kid from the East Coast, and the two came together. It's the first time that Joe said he had ever met an Asian American man, Japanese American man, uh, but they quickly discovered that they had a great deal in common, and they were assigned together and eventually found themselves serving on the border between North and South Korea. Their platoon was charged with defending, uh, I think it was like 500 yards of territory with 22 men, and they were there for a number of months. And then one night, a cloudlet or a cloud-filled night with a moonless sky, they noticed that there was this dark mass moving toward them, and it was the Chinese army moving to take the spot back, um, or retake, or take the spot. Um, and so, with the 22 men, they held off for close to three hours, 
And during that time, Joe had been shot twice in the leg. He was also wounded. He, he could feel a large hole near his spine in the back, could not walk. Um, when when um, they call him Hershey, <laughs> uh, when Hershey realized that it was hopeless, he manned the last remaining artillery gun and he, he shouted at his men to make their escape. He would do everything he could to sort of cover them so that they could, they could escape safely. Um, uh, eventually, uh, they were overtaken, they were defeated, and all of them captured. And as on the road, uh, the guards were marching them back to a, a prisoner of war camp. And on the way, Hershey was carrying his friend Joe, carrying and half dragging him, knowing that Joe couldn't walk. And they fell so far behind that the guards at the back finally forced them, forced Hershey to leave Joe behind. Um, both of them knowing full well that that was probably um, the last time that they would see one another. That would probably mean that Joe would die there on the side of that road. Um, as the story continues, uh, Joe didn't die. Uh, a couple of days later, he was moved to another POW camp with a bunch of other wounded soldiers. And there was one soldier among them who could still walk. They hatched this plan for him to escape. And miracle of miracles, eventually, uh, they were all rescued and returned to the hospital back, back in the United States. Back in the US, Joe really wanted to know what was going on with, with Hershey, knowing that full well that he had been um, captured and was in a POW camp. And for years, he watched for his return, never finding any sign of him, never knowing how to get in touch with him. Until one day he was paging through an issue of Newsweek and he saw a picture there of Hershey shaking President Eisenhower's hand because he was receiving a Medal of Honor. So Joe got on the phone and found out that Hershey was back in Texas working in his father's auto body shop. And so he made the trip back and the two of them reunited, both of them believing the other two have died long ago and had this incredible um, this incredible call to courage, to maintain that courage, right? Even, even after all they had been through, they, they hatched themselves another mission. And for years, the two of them spent touring high schools, talking about the values for which they fought and that so many died, so that young people would continue to understand the importance of defending freedom. Uh, so that's, that's about the time frame that you saw in the picture that we saw. So as you think back through that experience, like what are the pieces of that that would really drive them to be able to demonstrate the kind of courage that they did? Um, I'm looking, and I wanted to look kind of back through the, what y'all are sharing on the chat stream. See if we're on the same page. For Hecky, yeah. For Hecky, it was about uh, passion and love dissipating any fear that could, can, uh, any fear that could exist. Yeah, thank you, Maria. We saw, we saw him do that. If Hecky, in fact, I saw one quote, there's a street here that was renamed in honor of Hecky. It's called Hecky's Way. And I saw that when city council was deciding how to name that street, it was simply because if you were working with Hecky, it was always going to be his way. Um, so yeah, we've seen that passion and love and we know how that worked for him. God is our source in all things and circumstances. Yes, thank you, Candace. Yeah, I think definitely Hecky knew that, especially in his healing story, but also knowing that that's true for all of us, right, through everything. Uh, from Kate Jordan, whenever we walk into our greatness, we act with courage. So coming from our own greatness, we walk the path we're guided regardless of what others think and act with courage. Yes, 
And sometimes we have a kind uncle who coaches us, <laughs> as Mordecai did, right? That there's always other support around us. Esther, she urges us to take responsibility in standing up for others. We stand up for ourselves. Yeah, those, I think those are all beautiful. Um, the refusal to accept injustice, righteous spirit-filled anger. And then she apologizes. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Yes, but there is a sense of coming from an awareness of what is righteous and where justice does prevail. And sometimes that is fueled by anger. But if we use our anger and our pain and our suffering in a way that moves us forward, right? Not in a way that drags us into a deeper sense of hopelessness, but that sort of allows us to see that light at the end. Then, then I think that's when courage rises up in us. When we can see that our that we can have an impact that will truly make a difference beyond ourselves. It's like there's a way in which we start to know our, our oneness and our connection to others. You know, that, that's what I saw about the soldiers, especially. It was about recognizing that their gifts could support others in, in continuing to live productive lives. Um, from Alyssa Foster, I feel strengthened when I return to a place of love rather than fear and sadness and defeat. Yeah, and, and I know many of us have very different practices that we use to return to that place of being centered in love. So I want to share with you, um, as we get ready to move toward a time of meditation, I want to share with you uh, another hero of mine. Um, this is Cheryl Judice, Hecky's wife, who has just been incredible through all of this. Uh, when Hecky was hospitalized on Wednesday morning, or actually he went in the hospital getting my days confused, they're all running together, I think Wednesday night. So Thursday morning and all through Friday, um, we held a Zoom vigil. Many of you participated in that. Thank you. And so Cheryl wrote back and just wanted me to share this with all of you. She said she was writing because she wants me to convey to our church family her deepest appreciation for their prayers and positive energy as Hecky made his, his transition. While it may all seem so sudden, it really wasn't. I am at peace as I see how divine order unfold over the past four days. I see how this too is good, this too is God, this too is for me, and I see the blessing in it. Hugs, Cheryl. So just this amazing capacity. She's actually quoting back a series of affirmations that I borrowed from another unity minister for a sermon not too long ago. And, but to be able to stand in that place, I think takes incredible courage, incredible awareness and belief in the power and the conviction of good unfolding. And so that's, I think, what we honor. That's what we want to be tapping into as we move forward through whatever our own process is around coming to terms with the losses, whether you knew Hecky or not, in this time of COVID-19, we are all experiencing loss at a whole lot of levels. So I invite you to um, just maybe even consider Cheryl as kind of an example of what it looks like to be able to stand in truth and see the good that lies beyond this, because there is always good that lies beyond this. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review. And if you'd like to support the ministries of Unity on the North Shore, you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, 
to 815-827-6052. Again, text GIVE to 815-827-6052. Or visit us online and click the donate button www.unityns.org. You'll also find there a complete menu of offerings for sort of remote and distance learning through this time of sequestering. God bless you, and again, thanks for joining.